Welcome to the Next Level Brands Podcast, where we share stories about the food and CPG world with experts in the trenches about how to build a successful brand today. Now, your host, G. Stephen Clear. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us today on the Next Level Brands Podcast. We're brought to you today by Kitchen to Shelf, the educational arm of Next Level Brands and providers of online and in-person courses, workshops, and webinars for CPG entrepreneurs at any stage of growth. If you're an early stage startup or still in ideation, then the Launchpan course has been designed for you. All of the basics and more, saving you tons of time and thousands of dollars in launching and growing your food, beverage, or small goods business. More details available at kitchentoshelf.com. That's kitchen, the number two, shelf.com. What you need to know to grow. Well, this is Steve Clear, and I'm welcoming to the program today Chris Kirby of Ithaca Hummus. Chris grew up in the Baltimore area in the late 80s, early 90s, and despite the popularity of processed food at that time, he was drawn to the concept of real food at a very early age. Ended up attending culinary school and developed a strong passion for influencing people through his food, which fueled a subsequent seven-year career as a chef. In 2013, Chris left the restaurant business and started selling fresh hummus at the Ithaca Farmer's Market. Six months after launching, Wegmans discovered Ithaca Hummus and decided to put it into their Ithaca store. It was an instant success. Today, Ithaca Hummus is the fastest growing brand in the category and is available in over 5,000 stores, including major retailers such as Publix, Whole Foods, Target, Hannaford, and of course, our favorite, Wegmans. Welcome to the program, Chris. Thanks for having me, Steve. So, um, you know, I... I, I... I want to go back through a little bit about the genesis of how you got into this, but I want to start out by saying that, uh, first of all, folks, this guy is a professional. Don't do this at home. The list of retailers, Wegmans, Publix, and Whole Foods are the three worst retailers to get into. Nobody can get into Publix, Wegmans, or, or Whole Foods. And you went into Wegmans first, so everything else had to be easy. Tell, tell us a little bit about what you were doing as a, as a chef, and then how did that lead you to hummus? Yeah, um, so in my restaurant career, I always found myself working in restaurants that focused on fresh ingredients, um, made from scratch food, farm to table menus. And, you know, so that really became part of my repertoire and part of who I developed into as a chef. Um, but I got to the point in my restaurant career where I felt like the restaurant lifestyle just wasn't for me, but I still love mm-hmm. food. So mm-hmm. I need to figure out how to stay involved in the food business, but not do it, you know, working in a restaurant. Right. And so what was your epiphany? What was, you know, why hummus versus uh, an energy bar or something else? Yeah. So when I kind of, when I came to the realization that I was ready to exit the restaurant business, I have always been entrepreneurial. So I felt like I would really love to start a business of my own. But the problem at that time was I knew nothing about business or accounting or just the basic skills that you really need to be successful in business. And so 
I, um, at the time, had an associate's degree from culinary school, and I figured, why don't I go back to school and finish a bachelor's degree and learn about the things that are going to help me achieve the success that I want in business. And yeah. so that process started with moving back into my parents' house at the <laughs> age of 25, <laughs> um, going to community college for a year. And then I was accepted into the hotel school at Cornell, which is in Ithaca, New York. Yep. And so in 2013, I moved to Ithaca, New York, still had this burning desire, like, all right, I want to start something now while I'm a student so that I can apply what I'm learning in school to a business in real life. And so as soon as I got to Ithaca, New York, I went to the farmer's market and I was looking for some kind of local food that wasn't being produced in in the local Ithaca region. And through just travel and being at so many farmers markets um, in my culinary career, I've always seen some form of like a hummus company. And I thought for sure I was going to find a local hummus producer at the Ithaca farmers market. And I was shocked when I did. And so <laughs> about a month later, I became the local hummus producer in Ithaca. That is awesome. And, and so y- you set up shop uh, selling at the farmer's market. And that's how you did you. I mean, was there again, sort of that immediate kind of reception of, oh, this is really good. And, and how were you, you know, how were you processing it? Where were you making it? All that stuff. Yeah. Um, fortunately, yes. Uh, Ithaca is really this very unique, almost magical place. It's We were talking about before we came on the air. Yep. Uh, you know, it's this upstate New York is this agricultural mecca. Um, the farmer's market in Ithaca itself is one of the top five busiest farmer's markets in the country. And the people who live there you know, they're makers. They appreciate quality and natural food. Um, Very similar, a lot of similarities between like Boulder, Colorado or Austin, Texas. So it was the right place to start a hummus company. And um, just based on who was shopping at that farmer's market and how the sheer volume of people that came through, it was pretty, it caught on pretty quickly. And I started out making the hummus in my apartment <laughs> and within a couple of weeks, you know, realized that that wasn't going to work for, for much longer. So I found a small summer camp uh, on the outskirts of town that had a certified food safe kitchen ah. that was only being used for two weekends out of the year during the summer. And I ended up renting that, kitchen from from the summer camp for most of the year wow that's great yeah you found you found your commercial kitchen and there it's just it's sitting most of the time i like it very lucky yeah <laughs> um what did you so for for folks that um, um may not be familiar tell us what hummus actually is or what's the you know in, sort of the ingredient for most of the stuff base ingredients yeah hummus in in the plant-based phrase i like to say that 
hummus is the OG plant-based dip. Um, it's chickpeas, cooked chickpeas with um, tahini, typically, which is a sesame seed, roasted sesame seed paste. Yep. Um, lemon juice, garlic, uh, oil, salt. Um, it's a very healthy, clean that's a bean dip basically. Right. And so when you're at, when you're at the farmer's market, Sage, are you, are you experimenting with different flavors and additions and stuff during this? Are you trying to stick to the, the traditional? Yeah. At first, um, I really drew inspiration from a guy that I met when I was, uh, working in restaurants, Lebanese guy, who would make his family's recipe of four hummus um, for family meals in the restaurant. Mm. And I remember that hummus was very lemony, garlic, fresh tasting, uh, just a lemon forward, which turned out like that's just the Lebanese style of making hummus. So that was my original, you know, first flavor was lemon garlic hummus and again drew the inspiration from my friend Faisal and we stuck with that original formula for uh, the first six months at least it was one flavor and then somebody said hey do you ever think about doing this or did you were you playing around with uh, product development in the kitchen yeah eventually I just kind of looked at and, you know, thought about like, what ingredients are we buying? What is the flavor profile of our original lemon garlic flavor? And how might we be able to complement that? And naturally, I was like, well, what pairs with better with lemons and dill? Classic flavor combination, lemon and dill. So that was our second flavor. And then I felt like just intuitively as a consumer like we need a some kind of spicy um flavor variety right and but i wanted it to be dif different and so that we came out with the smoked chipotle flavor as our third flavor wow that's that's awesome that's a great uh, great kind of development so um how did the wegmans connection happen was that through the farmer's market as well um, yes and no. I mean, the, the short story is that, you know, Wegmans kind of discovered us at the farmer's market one day, which is partially true. I mean, we, they did come to the farmer's market and, um, ha had some interest there, but it was really a much longer process than that. And I, I kind of courted a couple of the chefs at Wegmans from very early on just by, going and meeting with them and not asking to sell anything to them, just right. chef to chef sitting down, taste this hummus and tell me what you think. And that really was the seed that, that eventually blossomed into a, a business relationship with, with Wegmans. And, and so again, trying to, trying to make the jump, I think is, is, You've got a little bit now, The you've got the business background going for you, whatever else, but when 
Wegmans indicated they might be interested in carrying the product and stuff. Were you prepared at all for the capacity you were going to need, the insurance you were going to need? How'd you handle all that? I mean, I think most, you know, most, most entrepreneurs would kind of feel the same way. It's, it's just, you know, you get an opportunity like that and you figure out what you need to do to make it happen. And so I wasn't concerned. I was more just energized by the opportunity. And so initially it was just brute force. Like, okay, uh, the Ithaca Wegman store wants to put our product on the shelf. How are we going to get it there? Well, we go better go buy a bunch of coolers and ice packs and <laughs> drop it off in our car um, and make sure that it holds temp. And uh, well, uh, they're going to double our volume basically overnight. How are we going to produce that? Well, we're just going to work twice as long. <laughs> so, you know, it was really brute force from the beginning. And, uh, and, and we kind of carried on that way for, for quite a while. Um, but we made it happen. And uh, it was one of the best things that could have happened to us. So what about the, I mean, okay, so, and that's, you know, everybody's, you pop the champagne, you're doing a lot of work, whatever else. Did you sit down and say, okay, I need to find some other Wegmans or other local stores or how did you go about pushing out to other retail? Yeah, it was, um, we had a little bit of everything. We had, um, Wegmans going strong and the hope was that we could sell so much product in that one store that eventually some of the other surrounding stores would want to carry us. And, um, that ended up happening. But at the same time, I was going around to all the natural food stores in the Ithaca, upstate New York region and just showing up, you know, and asking to speak with the manager <laughs> and sitting down and having, tasting my product <laughs> with them. The challenge though was without being in any kind of like distributor, a lot of these folks were like, yeah, it's a great product, but how are we going to get it? First of all. And second of all, like, I call a distributor who I can order a hundred different products from. Am I also supposed to call you for just your one product every week? <laughs> and so it took a little bit of like getting creative about figuring out how to offer them a solution to that. And I ended up getting a printer that I plugged into the cigarette lighter of my car and literally managing <laughs> managing the inventory on their shelf and printing out invoices like right there, sometimes for like one or two or three cups of hummus, whatever was depleted, I would just go in and refill and hand them an invoice. So yeah, I had Wegmans natural food stores and, and we were also starting to, um, you know, have some conversations with Whole Foods in the Northeast. And so one of the things, Chris, I, I I talk to people about sometimes is we we have these gaps in right in in building your food business, and one of the classic ones is if you're trying to reduce your cost of goods, it's um, I'm buying stuff in five gallon pails right now, and I can manage that, but my price break doesn't come until the fifty five gallon drum, and I'm not there yet. So how did you manage the manage the growth? Uh, suppliers helping you out, or were you just you know, did you know your inventory well enough that you could cut it, cut it close and just in time delivery? Yeah. Uh, 
there were a couple factors there. First of all, the, the farmer's market was a huge help to our cash flow because it's essentially a cash business yep. where you know, I would sell out at the farmer's market on the weekend and then use that money to buy more ingredients and make more product for the next weekend. So that really helped with our cash position from early on. And then in terms of just trying to take cost out of our unit economics, it's, it's funny because I remember having this, you know, thought about what you just said, like the oil that goes into our product. And I thought for that specific product, at least I thought like, man, when we can start buying 55 gallon drums or totes or truckloads of this <laughs> stuff, the price is going to go way down, which is true. Absolutely. But I had gotten it to the point where I was the biggest fish in the sea um, for those five gallon <laughs> tails. And so in that market, like I kind of had a lot more power than I was going to when I made the leap to being the guy that was only buying one poop, you know? So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you just every ingredient, like it kind of worked that way. And I just had to, you know, really pay a lot of attention and put a lot of work into like, all right, is what steps can I take to reduce my cost without reducing the quality of the product? Right. Yeah. What about the, uh, so the springboard Wegmans, some other stores, whatever else, what, what was your, what was your next big retailer and, and how did that, how that happen? Um, Whole Foods in the Northeast. Um, I met a guy named John Lawson who, um, actually at the time when I met him, we had already hustled our way into, four or five of the Whole Foods stores um, in Manhattan just by going door to door. And um, so I met John and said, hey, you know, we're selling in these five stores and we'd love to expand in, into your entire region. And it took a little while, but um, eventually we were able to, to make that happen. And that was a big deal for us, um, being in Whole Foods, obviously is a major yeah. banner in the natural channel and uh, New York is a great market. Um, so that was another just milestone for us that I would say probably was the next milestone after Wegmans. And then did you start put, putting together a, a team of folks and stuff to help you out? How did that grow? Yeah. Um, we, eventually moved out of that summer camp kitchen and I found another um, space that um, was set up for commercial manufacturing, but was basically an empty building and ended up leasing about 10,000 square feet there and really just backfilled all the manufacturing work that I did in the beginning. So, I um, figured out how to get myself out of the manufacturing for the most part. Um, still, still, you know, did it, but um, so that I, so that I could free up my time for developing like sales and marketing and growing the business and what was going to come next. And so we did that for about three years, and then um, 
you know, distribution continued to grow, sales continued to grow. And I ended up meeting a guy um, named Frank Cavallaro, who's um, currently our COO. And at the time, he was working for a manufacturer in Rochester called Ledestri Foods. Okay. And um, so Ledestri at the time had just purchased an HPP machine, which if your listeners don't know what that is, it's basically a a cold machine that that processes um, food while it's cold with pressure. Um, and does the same thing that like heat pasteurization would do for shelf life and food safety, but it's a cold technique. Right. Um, so it's a big expensive machine and it's perfect for taking a fresh recipe with fresh ingredients like I have for Ithaca hummus and adding shelf life and, and, and food safety. So they had this machine that we really needed access to if we were going to continue to grow. And so I met Frank and over the course of about a year convinced him that Ledestri needed to make our product and HPP it. And that ended up working out. And um, that was a you know, game changer for us. Yeah, I'll bet. that's and, and that is what allows you to to have your fresher taste profile from being able to do that. Exactly. Um, we use cold pressed lemon juice that we squeeze on site, fresh raw garlic. I mean, you know, ingredients that you don't want to heat up because they won't taste the same if you do like a, like a cold pressed juice. Um, and the HPP process allows us to, to use those ingredients while also extending our shelf life. Yeah. The best, best of both worlds in that sense. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So, so one of the things I wanted to ask you about was um, um, I know that the company, you and the company are, are involved with uh, No Kid Hungry. And um, many things have happened, obviously, in, in our world, in the food world and, and elsewhere, you know, due, due to COVID. But can you talk a little bit more about how you got involved in that and what you guys do? Yeah, that's um, more, almost more of a personal involvement um with me i signed up this year to uh do a bike race out in bend oregon called chef cycle and um all of the proceeds that we raise uh, are go to no kid hungry um and then just as a byproduct of that when the coronavirus you know really became a, a big issue uh no kid hungry put this campaign together to um, provide lunches and meals to school kids who typically depend on going to school to get yeah, those things. That's where they get their main and, meal of the day. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I mean, it's crazy. The, you know, when you really, if you go to nokidhungry.org, you can read all about some of the food insecurity issues that we have in, in our country. And, um, you know, it's really just devastating when, when we're talking, when you're talking about kids. Um, so I, I felt compelled to, to help and we designed some cool t-shirts and swag and gear <laughs> and put put a, a, a swag shop on our website and all the proceeds from from that uh from from the swag shop on the site go to no kid hungry now and that's it and what's what's the uh what's the website address chris 
our website is ithacahummus.com. You guys can find it there. You can also order ithacahummus.com on the website, which is good. Actually, actually, not true. <laughs> not true anymore. Oh, okay. All right. We, yeah, we stopped. We did that for, we, we were doing um, e-commerce ourselves that we, you know, we hosted that on our website for all of 2019 and decided to stop. Just, just, it was a lot of packaging, to be honest. A lot well, of that, styrofoam and yeah. ice packs and yep. didn't feel right, no? And and that's that's interesting because um, you know the, the the whole idea of anything. I I personally think that refrigerated is the most challenging type of food. Frozen, I got no problem. I can you know I can ship it. I can put it around. It's frozen, right? Um, you know, fresh is the limitations are so uh, you know draconian. You know, non-refrigerated, like fresh vegetables or whatever. That you know, you you know, you only have four or five days, seven days, whatever. But refrigerated food is that. Mm, I've got a little while, and I I want to keep it fresh. But my challenge is I I've got to get it. And you're right; it is um, the conscience of a lot of people who are involved in um, shipping that type of product, or e- even stuff that's glass. Right, which which is isn't necessarily refrigerated, but requires so much extra padding, and whatever to make sure that it gets there, that it does seem a little, um, you know, a little somehow out of phase to be doing that if you're more interested in the health of the planet and the health of people and and whatever else. So, did you consider going to a third party to do it, or 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 you know, having it done somewhere? So it would be easier to ship places or did you just decide it wasn't worth the effort? Yeah. Um, they're just from, from what I, we can see, you know, there just aren't a whole lot of great options out there. I mean, yeah. even Amazon, you know, the most powerful company in the world, you could argue, hasn't figured out Amazon fresh quite yet. They will. Right. And I think, yes, a combination of Amazon and Whole Foods will be the refrigerated channel for direct to consumer. It's just not developed yet. And I didn't want to operate in a completely inefficient, wasteful channel just for the sake of selling products to people. Right. And um, you also have challenged Chris in, in growing, growing out of, you know, the, the upstate New York market. So did you eventually, um, you know, you went with distributors. You have to go with re- distributors who handle refrigerated. How how'd you manage? How'd you manage that to match up the distributors in your retail footprint? Yeah, that's um, something that I skipped over earlier, which is a good point. Um, I, I was talking about how I kind of like hustled out of the back of my car and all these independents and naturals and even Wegmans. Um, and something you know that I think it's important for people to realize about distributors: they're not all that inclined to work with you if you're a product that doesn't have anywhere that needs to be distributed to, you know, you kind of need to build up a handful of customers, which is what I did. I I got 15, 20 customers on board that I was delivering myself out of my car. um, And then eventually was able to go to a distributor and say, Hey, you know, there's, there's 15, 20 customers here you guys probably distribute to another 70. So I'll give you these 
20 customers and we can work together on how we can get the other 70. And, and that's kind of how that worked. And you just kind of leapfrog from um, smaller distributors up to, to the bigger ones eventually. And, and that's, how it's, that's how it's supposed to work. So you did that textbook, as a matter of fact. I, I think it's one of the parts in courses and workshops I do is, is getting people to understand that, first of all, a distributor is not a salesperson for you. I mean, they can be. They can, they can get you into places in many, many cases. But you still need to develop the, uh, you know, basically develop the sales and develop the stores. And then once you can get in other places, do your best to support that, whether it's demos or whatever else. Because again, it's not a it's not a sales work they're doing; it's distribution, it's logistics, um, and uh, you know that sometimes I think confuses people. Um, we we actually I I want to get to a distributor on the show pretty soon. We've had brokers uh, on the show, but I want to get a distributor on the show because everybody has their favorite distributor story. But I want the distributor to give me his favorite client stories, right? <laughs> about about how the this worked yeah. or this didn't work or whatever. I think they deserve a fair a fair shot at that. Um, so that would be a very interesting episode. Yeah, yeah. I know. I, I get somebody that'll come out and, and talk about that. Um, what, what's, so you, you, we develop more flavors and, and, and obviously, and you have some really, really cool ones. Um, what's without getting into proprietary stuff, obviously, Chris, but what's sort of next on the horizon? Is it more flavors, different product types? What are you looking at? Well, I mean, I'm a strong believer in the hummus category. Um, I think it's, it's a big category that really needs a modern brand to, you know, fully capitalize on the opportunity. And, and, you know, I, I believe that that's us. So we're a hundred percent focused on growing the hummus category with the retail partners that we have. And one of the things that, um, I always kind of make the comparison between us and some of our larger uh, competitors. We've got seven core items that we believe in. And a lot of the larger brands, you know, have as many as 40 different flavors. And you have to question, like, after you get past the core, like, eight or nine of them, what are the rest of them really doing for the incrementality of the category? They're not. You know, they're just taking up more space for the brand on the shelf. And yeah. that's not our goal. Right. So, or, or cutting the pie of hummus consumers even into smaller pieces, which is the other thing that happens with categories. It's like, okay. Um, but that, that then affects your, affects your movement, you know, for, for sure. Um, so can you share with us, Chris, the secret about getting into Publix? Because <laughs> it's still amazing. Um, yeah, yeah. How how did that yeah. work? So Florida, first of all, right? And in you're in upstate New York. What what was going on? Yeah. So I mean, first of all, we were at the right trade show. So every year we go to the IDDBA show, which is dairy, deli, and bakery. Right. So naturally, we sell into the deli category ninety percent of the time, and. So that's where you're going to find the right buyer. Um, and I love that show because we showed up our very first year and we met a great broker um, that works exclusively with Publix who tried our product and said, hey, this stuff is fantastic. 
I've had it at the fresh market, so I'm aware of who you guys are. And uh, we'd like to take you in for the category review at Publix, which is happening in a month. So um, <laughs> get ready. And so we, we, yeah, we get ready. So we, um, of course, said yes and put everything that we had into putting together the best possible presentation that didn't have a whole lot of data in it, to be honest. Um, and we went down to um, Lakeland, Florida and had that meeting and the buyer loved the product. You know, it was really the sales pitch was still at that point, like, look at how great of a product we have compared to everyone else. It, it wasn't a data driven um, right. you know, sales pitch at all. And uh, yeah, I think the buyer just tasted the product and, and saw what we see in it and gave us a shot. And we've been working as hard as we can to continue to grow our share um, down in public ever since and that's yeah that's great i have a you know a friend in the in the ice cream business and we we joke about trying to get data and i go you know but if you pulled all the data you'd only make vanilla i mean it's right because i all all i got to do is do it do a trend and oops vanilla hey that's really great and we, we can't survive on vanilla but um no that that's awesome um so the the uh, you know right now so from a geographic standpoint, Chris, how how far does the product come west? Oh, we're um, we're all the way out um, in California, Whole Foods, Northern California. Okay. Um, yeah, we're in uh, Nugget Market out there. Oh yeah. We're in Gelson's in Southern California. Um, so you know, really starting to develop our West Coast uh, distribution, but. Predominantly, I mean, you can find Ithaca hummus in the majority of major Northeast retailers, and obviously Publix in the Southeast. We're we're about to launch with Food Lion in uh, in the Mid South. Oh, there you go. Yeah, so you know, I think what's what's really encouraging about our line and our brand is that we've been able to successfully cross the chasm from natural and independent over into conventional retailers. And, you know, we're finding enough of the same customer who, who, you know, prefers our product over the the national brand and, and having some success with it. Yeah. And I think that's, that's really important. And there are a couple of those, um, you know, a couple of those places, I think Wegmans is certainly one and you started out there. So I think that was an advantage. Nugget you mentioned is another of those that, that has an, an audience that, kind of, you know, uh, I'll call it a whole food audience and a not whole food audience. Um, but that if you can, if you can sell in those stores, then I'm pretty confident that you can sell in a Safeway and Albertsons food line, you know, whatever, because there's enough of that draw. You're not siloed enough in, in, in either your offering, your taste or your price that people can't go, Oh yeah, I'm going to do this. And then it's like, wow, okay. You know, it's, it's, um, you know, it's great stuff and I'm going to continue to continue to buy it. Um, what about the, uh, are you guys obviously still doing a lot of demo and sampling and stuff to get people to, you know, because it's like just to look at the package, which, which is great looking packaging, but still, uh, you know, just like that buyer, it's that, it's that thing of you taste it and go, wow, this is like awesome stuff. Yeah. Um, before, uh, coronavirus and, you know, 
really shut down the country. Yep. We had a um, we had in our plan for this year to hire a field team of our own, um, and we've done you know outsource contract um, contracts with companies that do sampling and merchandising. We've done a whole boatload of them ourselves, and it is a really important trial mechanism for our brand, and it's a really successful one. Um, but on top of that, you know, having a a really good promotional plan, I think you can easily do that wrong <laughs> and over-promote your product <laughs> or under-promote your product. Oh, yes. But, you know, I mean, that's a common trap that's easy to fall into, and so I've really spent an inordinate amount of time trying to get that right for us. Um, and then, you know, just trying to get creative with social media campaigns and uh, couponing. And now I almost feel like Instacart and Ibotta have really, I don't want to say replaced sampling, but in the short term, they kind of have with what you can do to promote on those platforms. Um, we're able to continue to drive trial, even though the store traffic and the activity in the store has drastically changed. Yeah, and in, in even um, with some products from Center Store, and, and I think, by the way, going in, because you go in through Deli in most of your places is a huge advantage versus um, a dry Center Store item or something, or, or frozen worse, because there's no room in the, in, the, in the freezer and all of the promotional dollars are you know, eaten up by pizza. So, um, but you can, um, you certainly can look at some of these new ways, some of the, the new, you know, e either digital or stuff with delivery. And even Walmart is doing some stuff now that is just pretty amazing for, um, if, if you're not, can't do a demo in the store, I'm going to do a little sample pack and I'm going to put it in with something that you buy at the deli and bam, away you go. All of a sudden you have a, you, you have a taste. Now it's, and people say, well, that's it's hugely expensive, and it is because it's almost as expensive to make the little packs as it is to make the regular pack. But on the other hand, what you pay for demoing in stores, third party or or retailer owned, is also expensive too. And you know, so um, it, almost any other way you can get a trial or induce a trial or get some mechanism out there is is a win win for everybody. I think. Totally. So that, you know, you can, you, you can almost, and again, I think with, with your product in particular, it's, uh, I go back to the buyer, it's the thing if you got to do that taste. So it's, it's trial and get it out there. So, um, Chris, I know one of the things um, that we, we do to torture our guests here on the, on the podcast is um, we try to get them to impart some wisdom to their fellow entrepreneurs who make up a lot of our audience. And we ask them to try and Focus on one word or one topic or one thing that really is important that they want their fellow entrepreneurs to know um, or think will help them in their business. And uh, what's uh, what's yours? I would say stay authentic when you're building your brand. I, I, I really believe that a brand is a mirror reflection of its founder. Yep. And you know, I can just tell you from experience that my best moment as a leader, as an entrepreneur, um, as a manager, my best moments have been when I'm true to myself. I'm not trying to be someone that I'm not. And I'm just as authentic as I possibly can be. 
hard yep. to do, but worth trying. And, 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 and hard to stay that way. But I think that authenticity, I think it shines through. I think, you know, in looking at, um, you know, some of the material and stuff and the website and, and, um, you're pretty active on LinkedIn. Uh, we all see that stuff too. And I think that that shows through. So I really, uh, um, really appreciate you taking the time to be with us today, Chris, a great learning more about Ithaca Hummus. And, uh, as Chris, and I were talking before the show, I grew up in upstate New York in Geneva, just outside Geneva, which is the lake next to Cayuga. It's called Seneca Lake. But uh, my mother worked for Cornell, and so a lot of ties to Ithaca, and a lot of I remember a lot of great eating and drinking in Ithaca. So <laughs> that oh, yeah. certainly hasn't changed. So so appreciate you being with us. Thanks so much, Chris. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. And by the way, thanks to everybody else for joining us here on the Next Level Brands podcast. Our podcast brought to you today by Kitchen to Shelf, the educational arm of Next Level Brands and providers of courses, workshops, webinars, group, and one-on-one coaching for CPG entrepreneurs at any stage of growth. If you'd like to know more, check out the details at kitchentoshelf.com. That's kitchen, the number two, shelf.com, what you need to know to grow. This is Steve Clear, and we'll see you all next time. Thanks for listening to the Next Level Brands podcast with G. Stephen Clear. Learn more at Next with two X's, levelbrands.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for the Next Level Brands email list or subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode.